This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. From the Ziggurat at Omaha, this is the Weekly Nerd News Update with your two-headed reporter, Joe and Matt. Welcome to your TGN Nerd News Update for the week of 2-25-234. I am your head, number one. It's a lot of numbers all in a row, but there it is. It's 25 or 624. <laughs> and my name is Matt Bomb. And I'm your head, number two, the Internet's Joe Patrick. And what does that even mean, 25 or 624? What were they talking about? Uh, I don't know, man. It was the 70s. I mean, like, it was 60s even. First up, we've got more Hellboy reboot news. I've done everything you ask. Yes, here I you have. In our continuing coverage of the latest Hellboy movie reboot this week, casting news hit the net, and Jack Kesey is your new Hellboy. Don't worry, we also reacted with... Who? Frick gets tripping. <laughs> Kesey is probably best known for his brief appearance as Black Tom Cassidy in Deadpool 2, and I do mean brief, but he also had small roles in The Rock's Baywatch reboot film and starred... I saw that. It's fun. Yeah. And starred in Guillermo del Toro's adaptation oh. of the Dark Horse comic TV series, The Strain. Joe, Was he all done up as a weird vampire, though? Yeah, he was the head vampire. He was the master. We just heard a creepy sample of it vampires but it was like viral vampires right you call it like a vampire yeah it vampire. was uh it was a virus of yeah, some kind yes, that's right correct. okay joe we were all kind of hoping perlman might put the red makeup and brick fist back on again but how about jack kesey instead <laughs> look man we were making jokes and uh, it's true that he's not like a a, a super well-known dude but that's kind of what i want in a there's certainly Hellboy. nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with a relative unknown. Like think about Luke Skywalker back in the day. You know, Mark Hamill was not a hot well, product. Right. You know, and Harrison Ford as well. He had been in like a couple of. He was in American Graffiti. He, he was a bellhop in some movie. He was up and coming though. He was up and coming, but he also wasn't Harrison Ford. No, you know? agreed. He, he, agreed. The most famous actor in that movie was Alec Guinness. Right, and it's not like they plucked Jack Kesey out of nowhere. We just read off a bunch of stuff he's been in. Well, so, but again, again, like we're we're having a we're making a movie about a younger Hellboy set in the past for the same reason why I don't want them to cast a well-known actor to play the new Superman. You got to be able to separate the actor from you know their past roles. Ron Perlman is kind of a weird case because Ron Perlman is just this like weirdo character actor but right imagine if they had cast like oh david harbour is a great example because david harbour they cast him as hellboy in the first hellboy reboot and it's like it's, it's hopper you know everybody's like it's, it's he, hopper and, yeah he was the hottest actor like in that moment he was probably the hottest actor out there and again we're not trying to be jerks here or pile on this actor it's just it makes you nervous when you don't see any other star power attached yet well you also don't know anybody else that's going to be in this movie i so. agree and that's like not they could a, get a, a more well-known actor to play you know the crooked man or or somebody else i kind of doubt that <laughs> but he's cg well, but you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. like, you could you could uh like they can get away with casting a well-known actor outside of the lead role yes the point is, is that you want you want a Hellboy that he can make his own without people looking at him and going, it's the guy from The Strain. Sure. You know, I don't disagree with that. And Hellboy just yeah. needs to be a character that oozes personality. And maybe Jack can do that. 
you know, it's it's hard to know. We haven't seen a whole body of work from him yet. He's been in a lot of little things and smaller parts. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It just when we add this up with all the other stuff that we've looked at, it, it makes you go, Oh, I hope they nail this. <laughs> you know, like, ooh. Well, you know, sure. I, like this is like this has nothing to do with Jack Kesey at all. Congratulations to the guy and best of luck to him. I want it to be good, obviously. I like I think this is a much better move than casting somebody that's going to come with a lot of expectations and baggage. Zach so. Efron. Boy, oh boy. He would kill it, man. Zach Efron's sure. a really good actor, Joe. <laughs> I get it, but no. I get it, but no. And now it's time for our Nerd TV review of The Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 1, titled The Apostate Matt. What's an apostate? An apostate is someone who has turned against their faith, Joe. Someone who has been cast from the church for uh, breaking some type of cardinal sin. In this case, the Mandalorian took off his helmet. That's a no-no. How do they eat? (laughs) <laughs> that's my question no he, i mean he can take off his helmet when he's alone yeah like you can not, take off your helmet when you're on the toilet you just they don't, have to bathe don't take it off you know like in front of baby yoda that's the rule i mean right? presumably they bathe yeah <laughs> i mean i don't know right. i don't yeah. know anything about the mandal i don't know anything about the mandalorian we bumped religion. into boba fett in that boba fett series he looked pretty stinky so <laughs> i was just gonna throw that out well and he, he wasn't did even, spend he wasn't even wearing any armor <laughs> he did spend a considerable amount of time inside of a sarlacc pit, that is but, true that is true so not a lot to spoil here here's a quick star wars title crawl style recap of the episode mando shows up during a some type of Mandal- mandalorian baptism there's a monster fight tells everybody he wants back in the gang they tell him first you got to go bathe in the waters under the salt mines of mandalore but they're all screwed up uh, apparently they're poisoned or whatever and then he goes to meet grief Karga, our very own carl weathers he's now the high magistrate it's got robots that carry his cape it's awesome he needs a new marshal because cara dune gina who was played by gina carano was written off the show with one line when she joined the new republic special forces mando's looking for ig-11 to help him find the waters into the salt mines i guess and then space pirates show up joe how did we feel about f1 of the mandalorian season three he wants back in the gang and yeah, that's basically why? it. But, seemed, right. Yeah, that's kind of where. And I'm not saying like, look, I'm already out and I'm mad. It was a good episode. Oh no, of course not. I had fun with it. I thought Weathers looked awesome. I love the robots that were carrying his cape. He's a magistrate now. Uh, yes, I did love that he had somebody carrying his train. <laughs> that was like a awesome. Ride. <laughs> uh, I'm always happy when Carl Weathers comes back. He's he's an awesome character. I love him. I do feel like I'd be perfectly fine if he wanted if the mandalorian wanted to stay and just be the marshal or if the mandalorian wanted to hang out with katie sackoff i'm not super pumped about him trying to i don't think he's going to end up back with the old gang but i'm not super pumped with him like trying to get back together with these jerks the mandalorian like cult that he was hanging out with they're a bunch of jerks can't you yeah do, but you know um go hang out with sasha but, Banks. she's cool as hell you know? <laughs> <laughs> and i don't think that that's going to be the story i, don't I, think so. I also agreed that it's not compelling i yeah. think that he's either going to fail yeah or he's going to or he's going to learn oh hey this isn't all it's cracked up to be i'm going to you know do something else and so, yeah, I mean, it's one we've seen one episode. I, I like right. right now he wants to get back in with his church. Yeah. Which probably going to change, you know, good episode, but, um, though. It was fun. The only thing the end got a little silly with the space pirates that felt kind of tacked on. This is the I mean, second whatever. time they, they needed. They needed a couple of action. Sentences. This is also the second time this director, Rich Fiamura, 
he's directing and space pirates show up for reason. And I don't know, like all they had to do in that scene, quite honestly, all they had to do, and I would forgive it, don't speak English, have the aliens speak alien language, subtitle it, and I'll go, all right, fine. But when they're speaking English, it just came off as kind of silly. It came off as like regional theater to me. <laughs> like, oh, uh, I mean, and, their, I and their boss sorry. looked like if Pizza the Hut and Davy I mean, Jones from Pirates of the Caribbean had a baby. <laughs> it, that's, that is true. <laughs> it was kind of silly. It's not super substantial, right? But yeah. it do, it does set up the initial plot or, you know, at the beginning of the plot. And it reestablishes, like, here's the situation with uh, the Mandalorian, the, the cultish Mandalorians and the the Katie Sackhoff Mandalorians that that think that they're true Mandalorians and that what's her name? The armorer and her crew are weirdos, you know, so it kind of like reset the stage because it's been three years. It's been three no. years, two years, it's been, two years. It's been, two years. it's been two full years since Mandalorian season two ended. So they kind of needed to set the table again and it did its job. I would like a little bit more than just like fun adventure in the next episode. I yeah. want to actually see some plot momentum. Yes. And we'll get that. We'll, like, I have no worries about this. I think so too. Um, I think they would have been, and I'm not going to go back on my Boba Fett tirade, but I think had they started this season with the two episodes of Boba Fett that were just full on Mandalorian centric, that would have set things in motion a little better for me. And then we could have had this first episode as your third, take a breath Let's have a fun little adventure while we go on this thing. And I would have felt a little better. But yeah, no, I like I'll I'll agree that like it's it was weird that they just suddenly did a Boba Fett or a Mandalorian side quest yeah. in the middle of this TV miniseries, and basically. I, honestly, like I'll tell you what, just pump the brakes on Boba Fett. Let's use that Mandalorian side quest, set up this season, you know, with the first two episodes and go ahead, make, I don't care. Make it nine episodes, make it 10. I don't care. I don't know. It would flow I, I, better. I'll be interested to, to hear, you know, way down the line when these shows are over, there will be an interview where somebody talks about like, Definitely. Oh yeah, this is why we planned it this way. And I'd be curious to find out why, because it's certainly odd and jarring that yeah. they stopped the Boba Fett story completely in its tracks to do this Mandalorian. Well, thing. and the other side of that, like we had people on our discord that were like, do I need to watch Boba Fett to know what's going on in this new episode of man or in this new season of Mandalorian? And our answer was, were, yeah, kinda. <laughs> like, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, and I, it's a short enough season that you might as well, I guess, but it wasn't good. You also, you also could just watch those two episodes. That is, yeah, okay. So that'd be perfectly fine. That is my major fault with Boba Fett. It's like if you pluck those two episodes out and just watch them, you're not. You're good. <laughs> like, yeah. You are good. You're not missing anything. I mean, you, you might the even fun, you, you might even the fun feel scenes better with Danny Trejo, the rank or uh, the rank or trainer. But whatever. You, you might even feel better just for watching <laughs> those two. <laughs> Let's get into some comic book news. Just in time for his 25th anniversary, Joe Matarera's Battle Chasers returns to new comic book shelves this June. If you're holding your breath for this one, you definitely died 25 you years ago. You are long dead, <laughs> yes. Battle Chasers number 10 promises fans an action-packed news story with art by game and comic sensation, not Joe Mad, but Ludo Lullaby. Lullaby did a bunch of work for Darksiders, worked on the Battle Chasers game. He's also done some, he did a bunch of work for Hearthstone as well. In this new story arc titled Martial Law, readers are introduced to the bloody tale of retired swordsman Garrison, 
and the fugitive Red Monica as they face off against Maestro's gang of supernatural killers, the Marshall Paladins. We're going to have variant covers by a roster of faves like J. Scott Campbell, Humberto Ramos, Chris Bacalo, Scotty Young, and Mirka Andolfo. Matt, why is this coming back? One, I guess there's money here. Two, there's evidence of that because the Battle Chasers anthology trade paperback that came out in 2019 sold like hotcakes. Like Image had no idea what demand was going to be like for this. In- well, I mean, look, Battle Chasers was extremely popular and people asked about when the next issue would come out for years after. For approximately 25 years. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, we make a lot of jokes, but I like I think that the audience is still there. Let me ask you this, though. You're a Battle Chasers fan, probably because you love Joe Mad. Right. Hypo- hypothetically, not you're not actually speaking. About yeah, I'm, hypothetically, you're hypothetically, you're a, Joe, you're our in-house huge battle. I have personally <laughs> speaking, Joe Patrick, you've is got a huge that red Monica fan. tattoo with the huge jugs on your back. I, like, uh, My point being, you're a huge Battle Chasers fan. You love yeah. Joe Mad and Battle yes. Chasers is back. And you know who's not drawing it? Not Joe Mad. Joe Mad. <laughs> like, are you excited? Yeah. Is this like, is this the big thing that they all want back? The anthology was at least Joe Mad's art, you know? I don't think Battle Chasers is famous because everybody loved Rad Mo- Red Monica. Or we just had to see what Garrison's going to do next. They loved it I because mean, of Joe Mad. did love Red Monica. The, well, yeah. That was Joe Mad's fault. He drew those, those <laughs> melones. So, but that's my point. This just seems silly to me. I don't think it sells anywhere near as well as what they saw. Oh, no, 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 anthology, no, no, no. Uh, And I, I think they're chasing a dream here. This is this is ridiculous. I, I think that it will sell fine, yeah. but that comic book stores will rightfully be very cautious. Yeah. Now, this dude's art is good, and it is very Joe Mad reminiscent. It is, but it's not the guy. Not but not a copy without being a copy. It's its own thing. I'm not I'm not saying it's not going to be popular, but yes, I agree. A battle chasers revival without Joe Madera drawing it is not exciting no no it's not exciting the marvel news desk had a very busy week and it began with news on the contest of chaos event and it looks like it is not going to be exactly what we thought it would be joe patrick (laughs) are we seeing a return of the interlinked annual event story is that what we're doing here (laughs) you know what if i told you that marvel has uh, brought back the interlinked annual crossover long ago and we just couldn't be bothered to care because the storylines are shitty yeah what was the last one we did care about what like atlantis attacks maybe (laughs) Um, i mean dude i don't know so like they've done the uh infinity warps uh stuff right kind of it's like all of these like watered down storylines that aren't good enough. I don't want to say they're not good enough, but they're not they're not high profile enough to be like this is the thing for the summer. Right. You know, this or, is the War of the Realms or of this to year, even or replace with the storyline that's going on in the monthly. You know, like it's not even that big. It's just yeah, like this extra like, tacked on it, thing. <laughs> it's something and again, this is no shade on anybody involved. We might be wrong here, though. As it turns out, in the case of Marvel's recently teased Contest of Chaos event, it was Agatha all along, right? So Agatha yeah. is behind it. 
The publisher has now revealed the contest of chaos will unfold over a number of annuals this summer, all of which feature Agatha facing off with characters from around the Marvel Universe on request to assemble a new incarnation of the cursed magical tome known as the Darkhold. So, yeah, it just so happens Agatha has a TV show coming up. Yeah. So maybe... This, they're going to put some weight behind this. Steve Orlando is starting off with the Scarlet Witch Annual in June. Art by Carlos Nieto. I'm going to say Nieto. Carlos Carlos Nieto. This is This is the prelude to the Contest of Chaos. We're going to see the Scarlet Witch Annual is going to constitute the first meeting between Wanda and Agatha since Agatha was rejuvenated into a more youthful form last year. I'm not sure. Uh, Editors note that means they turned her into the sexy TV version. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. They want instead of the doddering old lady. Go figure. And since Wanda absorbed the power of the chaos demon Cthulhu, seemingly defeating him once and for all. Was that in that group of Steve Orlando? Orlando one shots from 2021 the dark hold or whatever it was called that was in that dark hold yeah, uh, yeah okay. little mini event that we yeah okay so that happened that's the thing it wasn't just like it seemed like it was just like there's a random story but i guess it happened well it was <laughs> weird because they plan it, it was uh it got pandemic delayed it was oh, supposed to come out okay it was supposed to come out years and years uh, like two three years ago okay and then the pandemic happened and it got delayed and delayed and delayed and then it finally came out at the beginning, or it ended at the beginning of last year. Any momentum it had was completely gone because nobody was thinking about it anymore. Right. You know, it, it just kind of finally showed up after way too long of a wait. Yeah. And, but then, like, Steve Orlando is back with this new Scarlet Witch series. Very and good. it is seriously one of the best books that Marvel's putting out. It's very good. That's what leads and me to believe. Maybe there's something going on here. We got an Agatha show coming. They want to pump again, her up. Not, yeah, not saying it's any, I'm not saying it's any good. Or pardon me. I'm not saying it's not going to be good because the, the marketing of it though, makes it easy for people to ignore. Yes. Is what I was trying to get That's at. That's what I'm worried about. Exactly. Is that no matter how good this is, the fact that they're tying it to annuals, why isn't it just a crossover in the main titles? I think the, maybe the idea being, and it's a marketing thing, obviously, because look at the list of people. First, let's talk about what it is. Contest of Chaos. Does that remind you of anything? So it's a cross between the contest of champions <laughs> and the Agatha show is subtitled Coven of Chaos. Yes. So, so they know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. Yeah. The contest of champions was back in the day where it was the grandmaster and the grandmaster and the collector. I think, I think it was the collector. They had a bet. They pitted the Marvel superheroes against each other for the contest of champions here. This is going to run through annuals of Wolverine, Spider-Man, Venom, Iron Man, Captain Marvel, Cyclops, Storm, Moon Knight, Ghost Rider, Human Torch, possibly the most popular character on the list, Teguki, uh, Ghost Rider. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Who is that? White Fox and Deadpool. They just kind of dropped them in there hoping we'd be like, oh, yeah. I think that is one of the characters from the Agents of Atlas video game. Well, yeah, I mean, it's got to be from the stuff. Marvel Marvel Strike Force or whatever. White it is. Fox is definitely one of those. They are all corrupted by chaos and pitted against each other in a thunderous tournament. We love it when heroes fight each other and stuff like this. We get to find out who's tougher, who's stronger, or whatever. That's kind of fun, right? Taiguki is also known as Taiwan. He's the national hero of South Korea and a member of Tiger Division, which was a miniseries that was just ended, I think, or it might even still be going. 
which is like you said, featuring the you know AAPI, um, yeah. the Asian uh, and Pacific Islander characters. Oh, and also Ghost Spider. That's Spider Gwen, isn't it? It's Ghost Spider. Ghost uh, Spider. Yes. Go, Ghost Spider is the actual code name of Spider Gwen. Um, White Fox is another one of those yes. Asian uh, newer Asian characters from the video game. I mean, yeah, I, I love a good like tournament of champions kind of thing. Yeah, uh, or contest of champions kind of thing. I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of big names that are tied to it. We'll see. You know, I, I agree that choosing the annual format doesn't bode well for either retailers to order it or fans to buy it because we've been burned for so long on annuals. I can't even remember the last time I picked up an annual and went, that was great. So, but hey, if they're going to return annuals to greatness, into it, let's do it. We've been screaming about that for years, you know? It's true. I, I just... I worry about it when they plan things this way because it doesn't matter how good they are. It is so easy for fans to ignore. And then that makes the event seem inconsequential. Yeah. And I think that if Marvel really wanted to push this as like an important storyline, they should have planned it differently. Like there's no reason they couldn't have done a crossover between Scarlet Witch and Venom and Captain Marvel and the X-Men. Like, yeah. And like the only thinking it, I it, had on it was like, well, maybe they want to run it through these annuals for people that are buying Wolverine or buying Spider-Man. But like even they, I would think a lot of the people that are buying Spider-Man, Wolverine, Venom and whatnot, like they probably skip most of the annuals too. Annuals just don't yeah. sell that well anymore. Maybe. Yeah. And I feel bad because uh, like Steve Orlando has genuinely like rejuvenated this character of the Scarlet Witch and, and this new title is firing on all cylinders. You know, this is, this kind of seems like they're tossing him a bone, but yeah. it's not really. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. Maybe know. it's going to be great. I will say a lot of these characters. Don't, I hope it is great. A lot of these characters don't have monthly books. So I don't know what an annual is going to be for Cyclops, for Storm, for White Fox, for Taguki or, you know, like, I mean, maybe they're not all individually getting annuals. Maybe they're going to have a tiger division annual and an X-Men annual, probably something, you know, like that. that sort yeah. of thing. Probably. But we'll see. I, I, like I said, I hope it's good and we will, we will review it on the show in good faith. I wish Steve Orlando was actually getting a little bit more of a boost than the type of crossover that I usually ignore. Also know? read his Scarlet Witch book. It's very good. It's so, so good. Yeah. Yes. From our Wakanda news desk. Eve Ewing will be taking over the reins of writer on the new Black Panther series, along with Marvel's Stormbreaker artist, Chris Allen. It's going to relaunch with a new number one this summer, and Black Panther is getting a new look to go along with his new status quo. You ready for this, Joe? As a fugitive vigilante protecting the mean streets of Wakanda. Two questions. What do you Whoa. think of the redesign? And is there a crime in Wakanda? I thought Wakanda was kind of a utopia. Right? Well, I mean, it's a, I mean, it's a place where people have free will. So, I mean, I there's a crime. I don't know. Uh, He's going to be the new Batman of Wakanda, basically. I mean, that's kind of fun. I, that's kind of fun. Yeah. I, like, I like that as a status quo. There's going to be a logical endpoint where I think we're going to be done as a fandom with the idea that T'Challa is on the outs with Wakanda. Keep this in mind. There could be a logical endpoint where we're done with T'Challa as the Black Panther because he's not around in the movies anymore. And like, I don't know. They might uh, maybe some people, but not me. Like, I don't. Not me. I don't I'm not saying I movies. want. It. I'm not saying I yeah. want that. But I will. I, say, like, I don't need. I don't need the movies informing 
the direction of my comics, even though they do it all the time. They but. do it all the time. And we got a World of Wakanda TV show. Got Coogler very excited to tell more of these stories, none of which will be starring T'Challa. I'm not well, saying sure. Eve Ewing's going to kill him here, but this is definitely a different status quo. I like the, the idea. It's ballsy. I don't love this redesign. I think the redesign. I don't love this redesign it's either. Uh, it's not that it's bad necessarily. No, it looks uh, fine. I agree. It's kind of busy. It, it's got a lot going on. He's got like a shield or something that I assume that he can detach from his shoulder. And, got some and 90s pouches. Or, you know, leg straps with pouches and a shoulder holster kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. I have nothing against this design in theory. I just think that the Black Panther costume design that, you know, Mark Texiera created when Christopher Priest relaunched Black Panther 30 years ago, 25 yeah. years ago is literally perfect. Yeah. And yes, I agree. And the Black Panther is a type of character that should be stripped down and should look like that, you know, because that's his jam, right? He's just dark and quick and agile and whatever. And when you put a cape on him and some knives and a couple pouches, you know, like it just looks busy. Just looks busy to me. Now, if maybe part of the storyline, maybe uh, like if he doesn't necessarily have access to, all of the Wakandan tech that he normally would. And so he's stripped down. Like he's got to actually carry real throwing knives instead of those, you know, vibranium or energy dagger things that he shoots off. That's gotta be it. Or like that might be part of it. And, and so we'll see. I just, I, I'm not in love with it, but there's obviously a story reason for it. They gave him little Wolverine claws. (laughs) Brian Domingos made probably the funniest, like if you know, you know, kind of jokes in the discord where he put, he put the left hand and the right hand from this redesign with its extra little claws on either side of a picture of exhibit. And so immediately, if you know what he, what that means, it's like, yo dog, I heard you like claws. So I put some claws on your claws, (laughs) like pimp my ride. Yeah. And so it's like, he already has claws. Why does he need claws on his claws? Okay. Maybe he doesn't have, maybe he doesn't have, maybe he doesn't have the, you know, key claws. The retractable dudes anymore. So he's just got some claws on his face. Yeah. The retractable dudes. I think that's what they're called. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty funny. We'll see. I, again, my knee jerk reaction is I just love the original or not the original, but I, I, I love that 1998, you know, traditional suit, but plus the kind of gold accented, like totally Panther teeth. It's so perfect. And they used it for the movie, but even though they couldn't resist, you know, giving them all those new 52 flash (laughs) glowy lines. But if the story's good, the story's good. Uh, we haven't really loved some of Eve Ewing's more recent work, but I do love the Black Panther. The status so quo I'm is checking in, it out. The status quo is interesting. Obviously, it's not going to last forever. Nothing does. We'll see. Hopefully, this is fun. That's right. Yeah, now. I'm checking it out regardless, and my heart is not closed off. We will definitely review it on the show. But, Joe, the redesigns don't stop there. We got to look at Carmen Carnero's redesign of Sharon Carter for the upcoming Cap event. Captain America Cold War spinning out of the pages of Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing's Cap. Sentinel of Liberty. Joe, what do you think of the new skull face? And I got a question for you. (laughs) Are you down with Sharon Carter becoming the new destroyer? And did you know that the old British destroyer used to be 12 inches tall and called Dino Might? Dynamite? Yeah. So I'm catching up on Cap right now. And in issue seven, this is right after Bucky has done the thing and sort of joined this new order that's going to lead into the Cold War storyline. Namor shows up. 
and was like, what happened? And Cap's talking him through everything. And he was like, so now you have to go talk to Dynamite. And Cap goes, well, he goes by the Destroyer these days. Uh, I see. I thought that that was a DC character, <laughs> but uh, so Roger Aubrey, who is the Destroyer, he was created in 1976 in the pages of uh, the Invaders number 14, retroactively inserted into Marvel's World War II continuity, like all of the Invaders were. Sure. Uh, in his first appearance, he was identified as Dynamite, D-Y-N-A-M-I-T-E. And he was a little guy. But the Nazis captured him and gave him something similar to the super soldier serum, which happens to everybody Cap fights eventually, I guess. And he becomes the Destroyer, who is like a skull face and pointed ears for some reason and stuff. And he hung out with Union Jack. They led the V Battalion and whatnot. He's back with new info on this cabal that is secretly running history. Bucky's on and- board with them now. They like Bucky got caught up in it. They, but it was revealed that Bucky's creation was actually planned from the start, like the creation of the Winter Soldier. Uh, it was uh, kind of planned from the start, and he was one of their weapons and called the, Star Points. The old guy Basically, that gave Cap the information on them is Roger Aubrey. Roger Aubrey, who, who yeah, is still active as sort of like an intelligence gathering. But he's an old dude. You know, intelligence gathered because he, he old. Yeah. And so Aubrey it was this uh, character that Marvel created in the 70s, retroactively inserted into the Invaders. And then he became, uh, eventually became a character known as the Destroyer. And he wore this kind of blue and red jumpsuit with a... Uh, like a vampire looking yeah <laughs> like a like a, a white scroll face without the bumps right you know, and a skull on his chest and like so, an extreme I mean, widow's peak like he looks evil as hell <laughs> like i mean i under like it's like i get you know he's wearing a mask and it can be white but why does he have pointy ears like why were the pointy ears on the mask i don't know there? in other stories he and Roger Fallsworth ended up joining the V Battalion, which was a Citizen V centric. And it was another secret organization that like hunted Nazis. Brian died. Oh, they were lovers. They were lovers. Mm. And he offered to take on the role of, you know, Union Jack. Brian's dad was like, no. And so instead he became the destroyer and he led the V Battalion into the modern day things happened he died he was resurrected and he retired and now he's back helping cap and in the most recent issue spoilers for the most recent issue of captain america sentinel of liberty roger is in the field in costume uh because that's what old guys do man they sometimes just can't sometimes you gotta do it the, they can't quit the life Look at, and he look at Worf. is he's 70. He's still in space. Uh, it's ass, true. You know? Rogers killed in action in front of Sharon, like in front of her eyes. And she is going to become, it looks like the new destroyer. Yeah. And so she's uh, like in honor of Roger, her new, it's kind of a take on her classic, like white jumpsuit that yeah. she always wears, but it's also got like these more superhero accents, uh, like, uh, some shoulder pads and like, yeah, like some armored, armored padding and, and, uh, color flashes, but also a retractable skull face mask. Yeah. It was like, it is definitely retractable. There's like, there's a style sheet that Carnero put out 
showing like the character design. And it's definitely there's three heads, and, and one and is like skull face, skull face retracting, no skull face. <laughs> yeah, it's like it opens up kind of like you know the Ant Man, like like all of the MCU masks now where they just kind of like right. disappear. <laughs> Somebody was just bitching uh, sh- about that on Twitter not too long ago. They were like, I, I saw so that. It's like, don't you remember when the ma- <laughs> when I when Ant Man's helmet actually like opened up and yeah. he had to take it off? Or he's like, what happened to heroes that had to take off their damn helmet? Right. <laughs> Now, I'm just, okay. I'm just I'm just glad that they didn't give Captain America one of those CGI helmets. Definitely. I don't think this is a bad direction for Sharon. There's no shield right now. So it's like she's kind of been just floating around in the background doing her own spy stuff. So this doesn't bother me. And I think the redesign looks kind of neat. And this Cold War story is going to be great. I'm it's so excited. going to be really good. It's like right back to that sort of cheeseball 80s you know, Roger Stern type story. Like there's a secret cabal that's controlling everything, you know? Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like, uh, right. It, like, it harkens it. back to, um, uh, the, the storyline that drove Captain America to quit and become nomad in the exactly. 70s. It's where like the secret empire has infiltrated the highest levels of government yeah. and oops, the president is the hate monger. Right. And it's like, Oh yeah, that's, that's bad. I love a good conspiracy storyline, oh, a, a totally. big sweeping government conspiracy storyline. It's like it has nothing to do with Infinity Gems. It has nothing to do with nope. Thanos or or Annihilus or any spaceships coming. It's 100% like Winter Soldier, uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier style, like, or and Secret Warriors. Oh, no, Hydra's actually running the show. That's bad news. Yeah. And I, I love it. I'm into it 100%. Captain oh. America Sentinel of Liberty is so good. Yeah. Um, She's also got this kind of Tan thing that's got a gem in it, and I don't know what that is. I don't know either. Um, it looks like I, a, it looks like. But a, I am a little behind, so it. Yeah, it lo- it looks like a what are they called? A kendo stick that like wrestlers go grab and beat each other with, but it's got like a gem yeah. on it. So I don't know what that is, but I think like it's it, cool. It, it, it it looks like you know the bloodstone, but it, I know it's not the bloodstone because Elsa Bloodstone has the bloodstone. But. Yeah. I'm into it. I think, you know, giving Sharon a skull mask is kind of weird, but I do like it as a tribute to Roger. My one question is, is she still old? Sharon? Yeah. Isn't she? Don't you remember when... Sharon got old? Yeah. In the Rick Remender run on Captain America when they were stuck in Dimension Z fighting Arnim Zola. Oh, that's right. No, I think that's... And, I think we fixed but like, that t- a long time ago. Time, time moved faster there? And so when they came back, like Steve got out and Sharon got stuck behind. Yeah, I think they fixed and, that a long time ago. Well, I don't I don't know, man. I don't remember a storyline where it's like, oh, Sharon is feeling much better now. Somebody lay that on us. Somebody knows. She came, she, yeah, please. I want to know if you know, if you remember a storyline where they addressed the fact that Sharon came back from Dimension Z a full like 10 plus years older than. Right. Steve Rogers, at least physically, you know, uh, he's got the super soldier serum and everything, but like she came back as kind of like an elderly or middle-aged, like a woman on her way to elderly uh, with, you know, wrinkles and everything. So I want to know what happened to Sharon. Is she young again? She looks young in this drawing and I don't remember her looking that old in this cap series. So it, I don't, I just don't remember when they addressed it. And I'm, I'm searching around. I don't find, I can't find anything. So I don't know. <laughs> it's gotta be, there's something happened. She's obviously feeling much better. Lay it on us. You guys, we got a new discord channel just for this called lay it on us. Sometimes we get stuff wrong. Sometimes we don't know how something went down, but uh, you can show off and impress your friends by letting us know how stuff like this happened. So lay it on us. 
How did Sharon Carter get de-aged again? That is your nerd news update for the week, but we'd love to hear what you have to say about these stories. Join us in our gang hang on Saturdays from 11 to noon or post in our nerd news channel on our Discord. You know what else we talk about in the Discords? We talk about the question of the week, and we answer it right here, damn it. Joe Patrick, reset our question, and let's give these nerds our answer. Okay, I mean, this is going to be kind of disappointing (laughs) because... This was a really hard question for me, but I don't think you're thinking question of the, I think there's definitely something that you I, like. No, it's not that there aren't good. Okay. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. The question that we came from a uh, courtesy of Ryan Hebrews Mount. Is there a nineties comic that nineties real hard? We're talking chains, pouches, spikes, ridiculous guns, shoulder pads, etc. But considering all the nineties tropes, it's still a fantastic read. So a stereotypical 90s comic that's actually great and not in an ironic way. Absolutely. I had, And mine jumped straight into my head. Oh, please, lay it on me. It is Prophet Volume 2, Issues 1 through 5. This is Chuck Dixon and Stephen Platt on Prophet. This is the first time that I saw Stephen Platt's art. And let me tell you, if you thought Rob Liefeld was wild when we first saw him, nothing on Stephen Platt. Stephen Platt overdrew every piece of art he possibly could. Everyone in the issue is rippling muscle with blood vessels jumping out of them, gigantic swords, massive guns, (laughs) like absolute insanity. There wasn't one robot that wasn't so overdesigned that it looked like it came from the 30th century. (laughs) And this book was so mired in Rob Liefeld's like half thought out idea for profit who had many different lives, like past lives, future lives, or possibly was like existed in every different dimension. So maybe he had multiversal ties. It's never really cleared up, but it didn't matter. He had spiky hair, huge guns, and every cover gimmick you could possibly think of. Here's a synopsis of the first issue from the image fandom wiki. In 2029, a team of American and Japanese astronauts find hundreds of dead bodies in a chasm on the moon. In the present, Prophet is standing on the Antarctic ice cap when a giant robot rises out of the ground and attacks. As he fights back, Prophet has flashes of memory from his past lives as a warrior throughout history. Finally, he sends the robot over a cliff and passes out. Another robot appears and carries off his unconscious form. When Prophet awakens, a hologram of Kirby, see what they're doing there, greets him and tells him he's in a high-tech facility built eons ago by Dr. Wells. Kirby explains that Crypt, C-R-Y-P-T. That is how you spell Crypt, but it's an uh, an an acronym. acronym. Crypt, who is an an organization, did not kill him, but rather exiled him to an alternate timeline. So everything that we loved about that image relaunch of Prophet later on, that was like Brandon Graham and uh, I can't remember the artist. Simon Roy. Simon Roy. 
that's the that was the thing about those revivals is that it distilled the greatness of the concepts right and then filtered out all the shit oh yeah yeah and but it, like prophet is this time multiversal jumping soldier that's had multiple lives that's been around and been used by this organization none of that is spelled out very well here because you're just lost in the pure violence of the comic book <laughs> and i'll tell yeah. you what steven platt you know, don't come for the story. Come for the art. It is so great. His run on Moon Knight as well was unstoppably amazing. It was so 90s that it's just like there will never okay, be. Okay, but is it good? Is yes. Is it actually good? I love his art. Yes. I love Stephen Platt. I love how ridiculous this comic book is. It just, it accepted everything that Lee Field and Image was doing and went, all right. Let's take it up two notches, basically, and just pushed it into madness. I love Platt's Prophet stuff. He was on issues five through ten of volume one. Uh, Leefield wrote those, so they were a mess. And then volume two, one through four, which was the Chuck Dixon stuff, which was a little better, but still definitely a big, beautiful 90s mess. Okay, well, I struggled really hard with this, and I did come up with an answer. So what I settled on, it does 90s real hard, but not in the not in a um, visual sense. Um, and that is The New Warriors, Volume 1 by Fabian Nicieza and Mark Bagley. That comic book came out in 1990, the first issue. And the first 25 issues is an amazing arc. And it does go hard into the 90s. Like their slang is super dated you know the characters. The our characters are walking around so, in their civilian clothes. What about pouches? Wearing like are there pouches? Are there swords? Night Night Thrasher. Night Thrasher wears a costume that's got pouches on it, where he keeps I'll his little grenades and I'll stuff. Give you that. He rides a skateboard. I yeah, mean, come on. It was dumb. It was certainly dumb. <laughs> and and so, it's it is a very it's a comic book very tied to the nineties, and it's also very steeped in those teenage angsty topics that were all the rage like drug abuse gang violence uh the environment and, and it's all like it's it's like a checklist of 90s hot topics sure sure and so while visually yeah is there a character with a spawn cape and spikes no but it it does go really hard in a 90s way as far as the topics are concerned the slang is also very 90s uh, dated but the content of the stories is so wonderful and compelling and that 25 issue arc tells a there are a lot of little stories within but it tells a complete arc from beginning to end of a character that was obviously created unironically as a like what are the kids like these days tom defalco i don't know they like skateboards and and billy clubs and so we create a guy called night thrasher that's tom defalco that's my tom defalco it's really good that's really good yeah thank you i mean i'll give it to you it's you i'll, I'll let you do it but i think you could have it had you picked troll i would have been like yeah <laughs> no troll troll first of all 
<laughs> nobody, nobody is like, oh man, I remember Troll so fondly. Nobody likes Troll. No, it's no. terrible. But I wanted to hear you defend something like that. <laughs> but like, I'm like, look, you think that the you think the new warriors. You used to think the new warriors was silly and made fun of me for liking it, and then I made you read a couple. I don't like, disagree okay, that, that was, yeah, some of the new warriors good. stuff is good. I just don't think of it as nineties nineties like as hard the, as the question was posed. That's the tagline. The t- there's a tagline on the first issue cover heroes for the nineties is what it says I on the it. cover. I'm just saying profit chains check pouches. Check. Like, man, I get Guns, it. And, and I went in a different direction. <laughs> I know, there's, there's, I know. there's, there's nineties visuals and there's also nineties topics. And the new warriors is like as nineties as it gets in that regard. Fair enough. And they do such a good job addressing that stuff. And I highly recommend it. One through 25 at the very least, though Fabian Nicieza stays on the book past issue 50. Uh, it's it's so good. It's so good. All right. You talk about the new warriors enough on the show. Let's talk about the new question of the week. We've got a new question of the week here. This one came from the diseased mind of Matt Baum because we were talking about redesigns this week. What is your least favorite redesign of your favorite character. And so it doesn't literally have to be your favorite character, but a character you love, what is a time where they got a new look that you absolutely hated? Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to say, like, let's qualify. Well, no, never mind. I was going to say let's qualify. No qualifiers. Like, like yeah, Disco no, Nightwing a- wouldn't count. But no, Disco Nightwing would totally count. If you think that's terrible and you love Dick and like, sure, whatever. I'll take it. Right. Like, if you think that, if you think that that's a ridiculous, terrible outfit, then that's a redesign of Dick Grayson. So it counts. Yeah. Story uh, like and if it's story You'd driven, be wrong, but right. it counts. If it's a story driven redesign, I'll give you bonus points. That's fun. We'll be back next week with Cosmic Longbox back issue reviews. This time we're taking a look at comic book bounty hunters. Join us for that. It's gonna be fun. But until next time, true believers, my name is Matt Bomb. And I'm the internet's Joe Patrick. And this is your THN Nerd News Update. Signing off. Yeah.